0: Aloha! <laughs> that was not funny! What is wrong with you? I gave it my best shot. <laughs>
1: I knew it! Oh my god, I'm laughing
0: too hard. It's like a you need a like a standing eight <laughs> count. Right, you, you, leave the, you must leave the room. You're not <laughs> professional right now. With authority! Aloha! Welcome to the
1: most muscless and podcast in various Sports. <laughs> Welcome to ABC7 Sports.
0: WITH AUTHORITY! We have the giggles. I do. No, at least you do. I can't. Are stop you going to be professional for? <laughs> this is like the sixth time we've tried to start this podcast, and you keep cracking up. I don't. You told me a story about it. Escape from Alcatraz and ever since then you basically are just can't function.
1: The best parts of this show are when we're not recording. I wish we could somehow invert that and well, then entertain everybody.
0: A lot of it would have to be bleeped out. <laughs> but that's that's possibly. But true. we're on episode twenty. Wow. They said we couldn't make it this long.
1: We actually were
0: told when we first started doing this
1: that if we could make it to five, it would be a monumental accomplishment. (laughs) Based on (laughs) the
0: the previous five takes I witnessed, I'm kind of siding with the others at this point. But anyway, coming off the Bay Bridge series are either... Of these teams, the A's of the Giants going to the playoffs. And I say nay. Whoa! Yeah, I know that's I'm gonna it's a low blow for you. Uh, we're gonna interview a man who started out dirt poor and has dominated his sport for decades. May the force be with him. John Force Hot Rod King. Also, we uh, sneak preview. Not too many people have been in there, inside the Chase Center, which will be uh, unveiled for the media, I believe, in a little over a week, maybe a week and a half, but the best features that we saw when we went behind the scenes of the Chase Center, plus Antonio Brown's circumcision. (laughs) Next! No, he he described his feet as being circumcised, which is an odd way to describe frostbite. <laughs> yes, it's very odd.
1: The whole point. thing's been odd, including the helmet saga. We'll get into that a little bit. We, we have a lot of different takes on Are that.
0: Are you composed now? Are you able to? I think I'm good. Okay.
1: This right. show has started. It's not funny anymore. Okay. Well, yeah, uh,
0: <laughs> unfortunately, that is what many of the would-be sponsors have also said. So, my take on the A's and Giants at this point. Well, We, had, we should say, first of all, two games in San Francisco, we had a chance to go to the night game. Love the energy and the buzz mm-hmm. in the crowd, yes?
1: Absolutely. And you know what?
0: I think that a lot of
1: people try to kind of hate on the overhype of the Baybridge series. It's just a regular season game. The teams aren't even in the same division. So there's a lot of takes out there that it's just not that special. The whole drama's within the fans, not really on the field. And I don't really get mm. that sense a lot of the time. I, growing up in the Bay Area, always really looked forward to this series because if you grew up here, you had friends that were Giants fans, if you were an A's fan, and vice versa. And you spent all year doing the whole, like, what if, the argument. And then when the games actually were played, it was really fun to really just sit there and enjoy it with your friends. Everybody's kind of reunited, even from a media standpoint, us being out there that night. You see everybody come together from the media landscape in addition to the fan bases, and it's just a cool get-together. I really enjoy
0: the atmosphere. Except you hate the split caps.
1: I hate the split caps. You've got to pick a side. And I just it's, think it's they, just annoying.
0: They don't look great. They look stupid.
1: Yeah, and then the jerseys, the split jerseys are even worse. I mean, if you grew up in the Bay Area, what fun is it debating and arguing and bantering with people if you're a fan
0: of both? Well, it's okay to be a fan of both. I just... I mean, it's already The to designs like both, aren't that pretty. Uh, the only true. thing that's worse, I saw the Lakers-Clippers split cap. Oh. That is... Absolutely. That makes, I mean, the, the Giants' A split cap looks like a work of art compared to the, the Clippers-Lakers thing. It's just, it's horrid. But anyway, I would make the case, after being out there, and, you know, look, it's a, a large enough sample size. We're 120 games in. And obviously the A's are the better team. That's not a shocker. That's not, uh, there's no hot take there, okay? <laughs> I mean, uh, they're 68-52 and 52 as we tape. And we gave people a chance to make easy money in episode... Easy, free money. Episode 5, taking the over, what was it, 83.5 on win total? Yeah. I mean, they're going to blow past that. But I would make the case that both of these teams are unarmed and dangerous, (laughs) as opposed to armed and dangerous, because once you get past Madison Bumgarner on the Giants' side and Mike Fires on the A's side... You have a whole bunch of question marks, and I don't know about any of these guys. I mean, Jeff Samarja's been pitching well. Uh, the A's have a couple of guys in the rotation who have done well. I mean, we're coming off of Homer Bailey dominating the Giants again. Also, Chris Bassett. Uh, you know, do you really trust Samarja? But at, like on the Giants' side... Actually, we should you know we should do A's first because they okay. are the better team, yeah. and that way maybe people on Twitter and one person in particular <laughs> will not be crushing me because I put the the A's first where they belong.
1: Yeah, and I mean he obviously is an impartial journalist when it comes to various sports. The only bias I ever see out of Larry in his defense is because we made a bet that the A's would win right. more games than the Giants, and he obviously doesn't want to eat. Two whole footlong meatball sandwiches when the A's have 15 more wins than the Giants this season. So you look at it on paper going mm-hmm. into this year and you go, "Wow!" Like they, I don't know how they're going to cobble together a rotation that has any level of success. Agreed. Now what they've actually done is beyond impressive in my mind because you know Mike Fires is their de facto ace, but on most other teams he's probably not an ace.
0: Mike Fires is the guy that they didn't feel comfortable enough starting. In the playoff game, the, yeah, the, the wild, wild card, card game. Yeah, the wild card game. And he's your ace now. Now, obviously, it's a, it's a different year. Yeah. But it, it sort of tells you about what you have on your staff.
1: Yeah. So on paper, he's a questionable ace. But in practice, I mean, his stats are incredible this year. Yeah. Now, I looked at it since April 20th. He hasn't given up more than four runs. He has a 9 0 win streak mm-hmm. going personal win streak, not team win right, streak, right. but 9-0 and 0 in record for himself, even though I think wins and losses are, like, the most pointless stat in baseball. It's still impressive to be 9-0 and over your last 17 starts. You look at Brett Anderson, who in the world would have thought that at this point in the season he'd have an ERA under 4? I mean, it's unbelievable. He has 10 wins. Right. Again, a pointless stat, but you look at the numbers and you go, wow, like, that's more than anybody expected, and Chris Bassett has been fantastic, too, for them. So you look at their rotation— I mean, with Tanner Roark coming in, too, who's a solid middle-of-the-rotation guy, you know you have, <laughs> I say this many, many times, Sean Mania coming <laughs> back. He is right there. He's pitching well in AAA. And then Jesus Lazardo, he's, he's like... Are you going to die we, on this hill? I'm going to die, die on this hill. Because, you know what, I remember... You know, when Rich Harden was coming up, you would hear all these just incredible stories about just the pure, raw ability of this guy. And he was supposed to just be the next great thing. And it was just injuries, 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 injuries. And you just really never got to see what a healthy Rich Harden could look like. And I fear that that might be what happens with Jesus Lazaro. It might be a little too early still, but he has had Tommy John. He's had a bunch of different issues this season. But if this guy can come in and be healthy... You're talking a lefty with crazy heat and crazy skills, so that will shore up a bit that rotation. Well, there's a lot of
0: ifs there, but yeah, I mean, if I tell you your rotation is Mike Fires, Brett Anderson, Homer Bailey, Tanner Roark, and Chris Bassett, that scares nobody. <laughs> it doesn't absolutely. You know who's scared? Nobody. <laughs> Jim a's Harbaugh. Are um, and as we tape, they're two back of the Rays, mm-hmm. one back in the loss column. So we'll see. But I just. The irony when we're talking about unarmed and dangerous is when we were looking at the A's, I thought the bullpen was going to be... That was supposed to be the strength. Right. And and some of these starting pitchers have been surprisingly effective, I think you would say, based on their career resumes. Mm-hmm. But the bullpen has been... In fact, they almost you know blew the game today. So you just don't really know. It just doesn't feel like there's going to be... Again, unless Sean Manaya comes back and he's at ace level... It just doesn't feel right to me. It just doesn't feel like this is, to use one of your favorite lines, team of destiny sort of thing.
1: (laughs) I don't think I want to label anybody that anymore. Oh, yeah. That does not work out well for us. Yeah.
0: Just ask the San Jose Sharks about that label from (sighs) Casey Pratt.
1: Sorry, Sharky. Yeah. Um, But yeah, if you turn it over to the Giants, you have Mad Bum and
0: then. Well, Shark, who's pitched. All right effectively better than I would have guessed in the last month or so. I mean he's he's had some really quality starts. And then it's just oh Tyler Beattie, Sean Anderson, Connor Menez, I mean Beedy ERA over 5. Anderson ERA over 5. Menes ERA over 7. There's no way you can make Remember like a few weeks ago we were romanticizing this whole coming up to the trade deadline. Yeah. Giants are, they're making a push. They got Dickerson. D-d-d- you know, I mean the, the whole chant and everybody's going crazy. He gets hurt. Yeah. The offense falls apart. And now you've got Mad Bum and Shark and then three guys that can't get you through inning 5. There's no way to 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 put together a run when you know it's it's win one lose two win one now for a while they were winning series 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 you know taking two out of three you had an interesting uh, remark when you were looking at the relief staff in yeah. Game 2 of the series, and it's a whole bunch of guys that, unless you're following AAA baseball closely, you've never heard of.
1: Them. No, and that's true, and it's almost embarrassing to say. I follow baseball very closely. I have three fantasy baseball teams. I watch it every day. I cover Bay Area sports, but when I was listening to the names in the Giants' bullpen, it's like, who are these guys? Well, they, they
0: made trades. I know,
1: but is it, it, it was almost jarring to hear the names. Because it's
0: not what it was before. Well, you know, Farhan decided they weren't going to go all in, but they weren't going to be all out either. So Mm -hmm. they got rid of their middle-inning relievers. And as it turns out, they need them. Because these guys can't last (laughs) more than three, four, five innings. And so you're constantly going into the pen for your Sam Coonrod. You know, just get whoever you can (laughs) to get you through some innings. And... They're having a rough time, and the offense has not performed as of late. So, Giants, as we tape, sitting at 60 and 61, uh, I'm going to give you the the San Francisco version of your Sean Mania fantasy. Johnny Cueto! Yeah. You know, he's rehabbing, seems to be pitching well, has velocity. If he could come back in the month of September and give you four or five starts. Now, it just seems like so much to ask for. It does, for. it does. But same thing for Manaya It does on both but sides, But then imagine yeah. if you had Bum, Shark, and Cueto. Suddenly, if the offense is even decent, three-fifths of your staff is looking really strong if they pitch up to capabilities. I still don't see... I mean, the Giants have so many teams to, to jump over. Uh, they're four back... Uh, the wild card is Nationals, Cardinals, Brewers, Phils, Mets. Mets. How do the Mets get? It? I mean, it's unbelievable their story. And the Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks traded their, their best pitcher in Granky, so you would expect a fall off, but there's too many teams to hurdle. Yeah. And their staff is just is not good enough and the offense isn't good enough. If they could finish at five hundred this season, I would say they've done a great job. That's what I mean, that's what they are. They've rebuilt their outfield. The pitching staff, its to use a bochi term, they're ham and egg, and we're to ham and egg through this. And that's what they are. Yeah. So to have any delusions of grandeur like we did a few weeks ago, like, could they stay this hot with Dickerson? No. And so they are what they are, but they still got to split with the A's, who on paper look like a far superior team. The Giants are who we thought they were. They are. I was thinking about Danny no, Green. Gi- R.I.P.
1: Uh, the Giants... Yeah, they were obviously playing over their heads, but they played themselves into a position where they could not sell. So what they did was trade those bullpen pieces and yeah. kept mad bum, and I think that was a win win for everybody. All right. I think we'd agree on that. But let's let's drop real quick. You mentioned something I'm glad you mentioned. The Giants have to hop over six teams oh, yeah. to get in there. The A's have really one they have to worry about. Tampa Bay. So I think that the A's have a very good shot. Obviously they're not in control of their own destiny at this point. But with some people coming back, if they can play a part, if they can get more out of Chris Davis, if they can get anything at all out of Blake Trinan, that'll help fix the bullpen. Yeah. I don't even know what's happened there. So I think that could help them. Okay,
0: so let's put the Pratt family fortune on the line. All the bitcoins. All the biddies. <laughs> Are you betting on the A's to make at least the second wild card position, to yes. make the playoffs? I'm yes. saying they are going to come close and then just not quite get there.
1: I will at least say they'll get into the wild card game. And I know that on episode five, we told you, put all the bitcoins. We didn't really say that, but put it all on the A's over 83. That's a lock. I told you yesterday, before the game two of this series, that I wanted to put all the biddies on the A's to win today, and they sure enough did. It was an obvious one for me.
0: And how much did you actually— I did
1: not do anything, of course. Scared money never wins. Here's some quick facts to wrap up this Battle of the Bay thing, because I really do enjoy this series, so let's look at some of the recent history. The Giants have lost five of their last seven games against the A's, which is pretty much an A's domination of the Battle of the Bay series right now. With today's victory, the Athletics improved to 11-7 and in interleague play this season. Have not lost a series in San Francisco since 2015.
0: Is this A's wrap-up with Chris Townsend? What it are is. we doing here? Is
1: that I <laughs> just want to point <laughs> Where's out we that, that if just you're well going to do in. a battle, Townie's my boy, by the yeah, way, no, but I if know. you're going to do a series... Battle of the Bay, you've got to decide who's the winner. And right now, the A's are the winner. It's split 1-1 right now, but recent history suggests the A's
0: are the better team. Wait, there's no debating that. I mean, no. we started the segment by saying That's that. It's a totally pure
1: domination. They're... I just won the debate right there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, whatever. I, I yeah, their record is 68-52. They're 16 games over 500. They're the 500. better team. Yeah, they are better. but They
1: need to be 15 but, games better, though, if Larry's going to eat those uh, meatball sandwiches. Well, the other thing
0: is they shouldn't be splitting with the Giants well you give they them the Mad Bum
1: game you okay. throw that out the right. well, they'll Mad probably Bum's face them again yeah, in the next right. series exactly though,
0: so, so you're going to split again well if they split Mister uh, the then playoffs? we'll just
1: go back to all these stats that suggest they're the better team Okay. And we'll go with that
0: All right. Uh, more on A's wrap up When we come back. Uh, Let's get to our feature interview of the week. Because it's fun when we have guests. And as much fun as it is to uh, try to get you through your laughing fits. (laughs) And we're going to post Casey uncontrollably laughing. I'll uh, I'll bump it uh, in somewhere. uh, Somewhere. Um, But we had a chance to interview a man who started out just dirt poor. His family had absolutely nothing. And I just want to uh, set up this story because we didn't get a chance to do it in the, in the formal interview with John Force, the hot rod king. But his family, they worked in orchards and they picked fruit and vegetables. And as the story goes, uh, little Johnny, you know, he, he was too young to work in the fields. And so they would just let him run around the orchard, right? And to keep track of him because they, they, you know, the family had to work, the parents had to work. They would tie a balloon to him, and so they could. They knew where he was when he was oh, no. running around the orchard because they could see the balloon oh. until one day it burst, and then they had to go find him. But anyway, no, it's that's <laughs> that's. that's I story. read that. I, I'm so I bummed we did not I can't get a chance. We didn't talk to him about I, that. Well, we, you know, he was rolling off Castrol and Chevy and all these. That was you rolling names. all that off. Well, that that happened too. But let us get to our interview with the great John Force. What a pleasure to be joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the hot rod king, John Force is with us. John, it's a shame you could not get more of your trophies into this shot because, uh, well, you got so many trophies, it's like you're using them for doorstops at this point. What is going on there?
2: <laughs> I've just uh, done a lot of winning, but it was a lot of great people behind me, a lot of great sponsors. Um, I like to take all the credit, but I can't. Uh, We just keep doing it. Uh, A guy like me should retire, but I ain't that smart in racing. These 300-mile-an-hour fuel-funny cars, I absolutely – mine's a Chevrolet. I love it.
0: Hey, you just turned 70 a few months ago. 70 is usually an age when people are not going 300 miles per hour. So, Like when you go to the California DMV, do they look at your driver's license and go – but I don't know. I, I you know, We might have to give you a driving test.
2: <laughs> they, they don't want to give me a driver's license to drive on the street, let alone <laughs> 330 miles an hour. But, no, you know, it's not that tough. It's the show's week in, week out. When we're not racing the 24 NHRA Mellow Yellow events, we're somewhere doing a show. Kearney, Nebraska, you know, we, we're. I just came from there. Uh, we're I just at a match race in Norwalk, Ohio. Uh, uh, it, it just... It's an ongoing thing. That's the hard part. The driving is easy. The car does the running for me, and as long as that old hot rod likes me, I'm gonna keep doing it.
1: Now, you just won your 150th race, which is a monumental accomplishment for you. I know that you can't take all the credit, as you said earlier, but let's just talk about that moment for you and what that meant.
2: Well, it wasn't just me. There was a lot of people along the road. You know, I surrounded myself with great sponsors like Peak. Uh, uh, motor oil and, and Chevrolet and auto club and, and, uh, Montana brand and, 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 advanced auto parts. I got a lot of great people around me that support my teams, but they expect us to win. But with their money, I was smart enough to know it's not, it's like a football team. You got to put everybody together in that huddle and you got to come out swinging. And that's what we did. But there was a lot of people in my career and the biggest was Austin Coyle that won the majority of the races. We go back 35 years, uh, but there was others, Mike Neff, Dean Antonelli, um, you know, John Schaefer. The The list goes on and on. And now, uh, 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 Brian Karate leads the charge on this car with my, my son-in-law, Daniel Hood, uh, and, and Tim Fabrizi. These guys are, and the team of the 10 kids with me that made it happen. And then I got my shops in Indy that build my chassis. My engines, my paint, Uh, John Forrest, American-made there in Indy. They made it happen, and it's really embarrassing because I get all the credit. And I ain't trying to be humble here. I'm just telling you the fact. They gave me a race car on that day that could just beat anybody, and uh, I'm really proud of them.
0: You know, I I wanted to ask you about the whole sponsorship thing because more in racing than in any other sport, whether it's NASCAR, whether it's hot rods, uh, the second – Every driver gets out of the car. And I, I watched a bunch of interviews... Uh, of you in preparation for this, and uh, you, you know you jump out, and it's a it's a laundry list of uh, you know you got you want to thank Castrol, keep keeping that engine lubricated. You got Chevrolet because that engine was firing. Your crew's eating Subway sandwiches. Is there? Do you teach these guys a, like here's your script? One, I want Castro. Two, I like. A, but every driver does it. So uh, how does everybody learn that? It's almost like WWE where you know what your lines are.
2: You know, in in IndyCar, they're our big brother in NASCAR and we love them and and for them, uh, they do it good too, we all do it. But I think NHRA drivers, Top Fuel, Funny Car, Pro Stock, the bikes, wherever, we know that we have to get those sponsor plugs in there. And at the end of the year, like being on your show, I had to go home and sleep for an hour because I haven't slept in a week and it's been off and on and traveling. And, and I had to get back here because this chance with you, you're a big operation there. I'm honored that you asked me to be on and to share all this with you. But I need your exposure more than you need me. And, they, and at the end of the year, they look at it, they spend four to $5 million to run these race cars. And how do you get people in this economy to spend that kind of money? It's really tough. We give them a great TV package on Fox with NHRA, but now something new has hit. Social media. I didn't even know what that was five years ago. And a guy says push one button and you're everywhere in the world. And boy, let me tell you, my my phone exploded. I had over 250 uh, incoming calls and social media. I had to turn it over to Sarah in our PR department like fix some of this stuff. <laughs> I, I'm not even smart enough to run a phone. <laughs>
1: Hey, you know, you talk about the convenience of social media. Obviously, you have great sponsors. There's a ton of money in it for you now. But it wasn't always this easy, right? I mean, can you take us back to your roots a little bit? Like, how did you learn at first that this was your calling in life? I know you haven't always had it this easy.
2: Well, first, let me say we are a family here in NHRA. The young kid that won the same day as me, and he swore he was going to get his first win, Austin Brock in Top Fuel. And that Montana brand, he was going to get it on the day I won 150. He told me that months ago, and man, he did, and it was just amazing. But I raced his grandpa, and at Tom Proc years ago, forty-something years ago, and 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 then his his dad, uh, uh, Jimmy Prock, uh, runs the Auto Club car, a uh, Chevrolet that's in the points lead, and I moved up to second to them. But uh, uh, Jimmy Prock uh, won. Five or ten races with me. Tune in for me. So they were all part of this 150, but it it really is just amazing how these kids can work seven days a week. They live it. They love the road. Uh, this is our life, and uh, we give our life to NHRA drag racing. We give it to the fans. We give it to the sponsors, and the fans are unbelievable. Seattle was a place I grew up, and they were unbelievable. I went in the stands with them because it was just a moment. When I won, like, oh man, get this monkey off my back. But then I found out the monkey's the one that got my head right. And the monkey is, <laughs> a, everyone says, where's the monkey? It's fictitious. I made it up, but it got my mind right that, you know, I've had years i won 12, 13, 14 races. Uh, I've had years that I only won one. But I've won every year at least one race as long as I can remember. And I've been out here 40 years, more than 40, but on that day, everything went right. And I got to give credit to that make believe animal that I created, that little monkey, that he got me focus on the car. You don't know your race car. You better love it. You better live it. You better smell it, breathe it, eat it, and, and that wind will come. And oh, I'm glad it's over. But I love that monkey.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I want to talk about something related to that monkey because. Uh, there's one part of your story I thought was really interesting. Uh, your family did not have a lot of money when when you were a kid, and yeah. neither did mine. And it, it's always in the back of my mind. It doesn't matter. I and mean, you're as successful as could possibly be. You've got this big mansion. You got a whole team. You got a zillion uh, sponsors. But I always find that there's something in the back of my mind that takes me back to, man, it, it could all be gone tomorrow. Like, is that in the ever in the back of your head? Like. You know that you could live in a one-room trailer if you had to. Uh, You don't want that for the rest of your family, but it's a motivator. It's got to be a motivator for you.
2: You guys are smart because you hit it right on the head. We have a fear. I grew up in a little trailer house. My mom was a cook in Northern California at the Trees of Mystery. And and, uh, up by Arcata Eureka. My dad was a logger. I logged in Seattle and Washington with my dad. I'm... We were strawberry pickers. My mom was always a cook, my dad a trucker. And I lived in this little trailer house with five brothers and sisters. And I ain't going back to that trailer house, never. And the day, the day I got a car, I've lived in cars and motorcycles since I was 14 years old. Because you know why? It was an escape. you could be in your car at a 54 Chevy. When I was 15 and a half, I had a driver's license that my mom helped me get just so I could get to work at Benny's restaurant. And what I'm saying is, you don't wanna go back, so you keep working. But in that car, why I fell in love with cars, you carry your school books, your football helmet, your girlfriend's picture, everything's in that car. So at the end of the day, you ain't going back, or you going back where you came from, and I ain't, I ain't going back either. And I'm gonna race till I drop, and that could be any day. The pain <laughs> is taking its toll on me.
1: <laughs> oh, man. I mean, you mentioned having your girlfriend's picture in the car. I mean, what do you attribute? You know, your wife has been a big part of this as well. And she was obviously behind the scenes in a lot of ways helping you through all this. So, I mean, how much credit do you give her, your family, who you now get to race with? I mean, how much credit do they deserve here, too?
2: Well, all of it. You know, <laughs> if, if you don't have a wife that will allow you to, to be this... We're rodeo people, we're on the road week after week. Um, I mean, I finally got home yesterday. Uh, we raced till two in the morning in Ohio. I got home at, at, at probably two in the afternoon. My son, Jacob, Emma, and Noah, and my granddaughter, Autumn, they drive junior dragsters, and they play football and, and, and hockey and sports and stuff. But at the end of the day, I got home to the birthday party. It was like, please, in Chicago, don't let this plane be late. I gotta get home to that grandbaby. Because my girls grew up, Ashley, Adra, Brittany, Courtney, and they're all part of the business. And they drive fuel funny cars and top fuel dragsters. They've won championships. But what I'm saying is they were all there for me for that 150. That was big. Everybody said, you're going after Richard Petty. I know Richard, but not very well. But I don't even, I've never raced him. So those are my heroes, the Don Perdomes, the Kenny Bernsteins. Uh, you know, Earnhardt, the guys I grew up with, watching, I love them, I don't wanna be them, I'm not them, I just wanna be a great racer, and I want the fans to love what I do so I can keep the sponsors and do what I love. But my wife was there for every championship win with a, with three babies, one on one hip, one on the other. My other daughter, Adria, was there. We all part of that, and, 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 and the win finally came. 150 was a little tricky. It took me 24 events a year to get that win, and it's like, man, is something wrong with me? Have I hit my head? Yeah, four times last year. I got more miles in a helicopter to the hospital and, and in an ambulance, than I had on the racetrack, I crashed four times within four months, and they said, man, you, you're you need to get over this stuff. You need to go go to go do something. Find a hobby. Fishing. But I don't know how to golf. I don't know how to fish. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) All I do is race. And that's my whole life. And I get to talk to people like you and be on TV. And uh, I love it.
0: I got a question for you because uh, I'm from Hawaii. So uh, every year, my daughter and I would race on the beach. And I'd give her a head start. And we'd run like a quarter mile on the sand. And, uh, you know, I wanted her to, to be close to me. And I'd give her that head start. And then one year, <laughs> she just smoked me, <laughs> and that was at the table's turn. So you got three daughters racing. I know you want them to do well, but what's it like uh, internally? Because, I mean, I, I, I love for my girls to do great things, but not when they're leaving me in the dust on the beach. How about for you on the track?
2: but you got to put on three hats. Number one, you're an owner. So when your girls drive and three of them drove and, and my fourth daughter, Adra, she runs the money in the company. I ain't smart. I can't even count the money. She does it all. But what I'm saying is the other three girls that chose to drive. Um, I I couldn't believe it's 16. They, they didn't want cars. They wanted pickup trucks. You know what I mean? And it's like, we're going to the races we want to be part of it and then they got in that loop of race and going to college they all got their four-year degrees but what i found along the way and i didn't even realize they did it so they could see their dad and mom would bring them at, at, at during the holidays and during the summer and and they they wanted to be around their dad and i think that was key we go to hawaii we all we we, we got to all the islands but we love maui and I can't run. I had polio as a kid. I, I wanted to play football in high school and college. And I did, but I was never gonna make it. And the pros, I've got a car to do the running for me. But my girls, they excelled. But I told them, you gotta get an education first because it's a computer world now. And it's social media and it's B&B business. It ain't like just to sign on a race car. But I told my girls, what's really, really important is I gotta put on three hats and I got to be your boss. You got to drive the car, you got to do the show, you got to do the work, you got to do the interviews, no matter how tired you got, or we don't have a sponsor and you don't race. Number two, I had to put on a hat and get in the car and race them. And that's the hardest thing to do is to beat your own kid. Robert Hyde, my son-in-law that's married, I I tell him I got to go up against you and I got to fight you like you're the enemy. And, and he does the same thing against me. But you have to put on that hat you want to win that driver's hat, but you also want them to win. And then it's your kid. And when you look at your kid in a helmet sitting in a race car, you've seen her on fire end over end. And you look at her and they're taking her to the, to the hospital. And you look at them little, little eyes in that helmet. It ain't no different than the first time I put her on a tricycle when she was five. And she looked at me, "Dad, I'm scared. And that was probably the, the greatest pain I ever had with Courtney and look at and she goes, dad, I'm scared. And it was like, oh man. And she was my tough kid. She'd fight the men. But she had had some crashes and some head injuries, and she was worried. I said, baby, you got to put that behind you, and you got to trust your dad, and you got to believe in God. Because we do here at Gone Force Racing. And, and I won't get into religion or politics, I'm sorry. But what I'm saying is, I have to put on three hats. And then when I beat them, you know, that hurts. When they beat me, it hurts me. But we've made it together as a family and the forces are together and drag racing is a family. They're still together. Now I'm part of your family. That's right. Was that the
0: scaredest you've ever been when when Courtney got hurt? Because, you know, when when stuff happens to us, we try to, you know, grit our teeth and get through it. But did you have a panic attack when she went to the
2: hospital? Is that true? I, I actually went down on my motorcycle and the ambulance was out on the track getting Ashley one year and I crashed and they ended up taking me to the hospital. And I was just gonna see if she was, she goes, what's wrong with dad? He was already out of the car. But I happened, Brittany rolled end over end after she won the championship. Um, and, and, and she um, rolled end over in right in front of me. And i just come out of the hospital at the opening race of Pomona. Wow. And yeah, you're terrified when you see these little kids. Courtney, the same thing. They've been through the drill, they get tough, they get back, let me tell you, Women are tougher than men, if you wanna know how I feel, because I've seen them go through stuff that I even looked at and said, oh my God, why would you wanna get back in that 10,000 horsepower, 330 miles an hour in less than four seconds down a racetrack knowing that the monster's in there, it'll get you. it got me, it, it got one of my drivers, Eric Medlin uh, in Gainesville years back, and we love him, we pray to him every day. A great young kid up and coming, just great. But things go wrong, it don't happen very often. We have a really good sport, but that's how I got Horse American made, working with his dad, working with pro, working with the military army. How do we build better helmets? How do we build better chassis? How do we protect these kids that don't have a clue what's out there? And that's why at my age, I made a lot of money, I don't have time to go home and spend it, You know what I mean? I just keep pumping it back into race cars. But let me tell you something. I owe the sport. And that's why I've got to stay, even at my age. Now, I ain't going to be able to drive till I'm 100. We know that. But I'm going to stay because I love it. And I owe to protect these kids. They're the only friends. Ron Capps fighting against me. Got out of the car when I beat him. He didn't want that 150 thrown on him that he lost to me. But he was the first guy to hug me jumping up and down like a kid. Excited because they are kids. And, and, and so uh, I, I'm not as good as these kids anymore, even though I'm winning. I'm saving the points. They are better than me, and i got to find every moment to win and what I can do to just stay in the game. These kids are the future of our sport, Robert height, my kids. So God bless them. I love it, and I know I'm eating up too much time.
1: oh no you know you know that really hits close to home too. my daughter had heart surgery i also have another young daughter who i'm trying to get to ride a bike right now which is obviously very difficult i can't even imagine what you did also cool ashley Brittany, courtney abc and that is where you're joining us right now abc so you are a part of the family we're we're together
2: ashley britney but i want to tell you your girl how old is she uh
1: i have a six-year-old and i have a two-year-old
2: Well, the one that had the surgery, tell her we love her here at John Force Racing and and, and NHRA. And I'll tell you why. Because what she went through, can you imagine a little kid to go through that, the fear of the unknown. But Mm -hmm. now she's done it. She's a fighter. She will take that. I take a negative and I make it positive. And that little girl of you is going to be a fighter. She may be running this country someday, and I hope so.
1: Yeah, she's already a badass, two years
0: old, and she is as tough as they come. She's running his house. Yeah, (laughs) running my house right now as we speak. Hey, we got to run, but I I just want to thank you for your time. And uh, you have one line that I love. Uh, I'm going to mention it to my bosses because you said you work four seconds a day, right? Right down that strip. That's my goal, four seconds a day in this company. We'll see how it goes.
2: (laughs) It, it, it's what it's all about. I really love what I do, and thank you for having me on. And John Force says, it ain't over till I say it's over. I'm going to be around a while to entertain him. Awesome. Wonderful. Thanks awesome. so much.
1: I hope John Force gets to keep going for as long as humanly possible. It's amazing he's done it this long.
0: I love talking to him. That dude I mean, is pure even energy. Even with a thousand sponsor mentions. But I just love the rags to riches story because – I mean, literally, when you start with nothing and you make it to the top. And he's 70 years old. I mean, he's supposed to be retired at this point. Most people at 70 are done. You're packing it in. And he's still traveling. And before we started taping, he said he had like one hour of sleep. That's all he needed, one hour of sleep. I mean, so I I think he's just a fantastic representative of not just the hot rod racing, uh, you know, the drags and all that, but just... Sports in general. I mean, his mm-hmm. positive energy is so infectious. I just love, you know, hearing him. And uh, I, I could talk to John Force every day.
1: Yeah, just a fantastic guy. Now, John Force has the keys to some of the most amazing hot rods you'd ever see. We had the keys to the Chase Center Ooh, yeah. two weeks ago. In our very own hands, we have the big <laughs> fake ceremonial one and the little jingly real ones that Rick Welts actually opened the door with. Now, what was cool about that, and this is going to be our Tell Me a Story segment for the show, right. we tell a story every week. It doesn't include balloons, but um, we actually went in. We did this great walk and talk where Rick Welts actually unlocked the doors with you for the very first right. time. Then we had to rush in and like literally sit down and do this interview for the podcast, the first ever podcast inside the Chase Center. And as Rick left... Then you, Raymond Ritter, Leonard, and I actually had a chance to go see everything. So we recorded right. this whole podcast about the Chase Center, having only really taken a sneak peek. So I thought it would be cool for us to kind of just tell our impressions, having seen like all the finishing touches in there. There's a lot of stuff already done. And so we saw everything in there.
0: Well, I don't know if we saw everything. Well, we saw pretty much we everything. We saw what they let us see. No, we yeah, went everywhere. We didn't see.
1: We decided. were in the Warriors players' bathrooms, well, even. Well, no, we were. We, we were, were in the Tom you Tolbert took, Memorial oh, we urinal. You to, like, yeah, we, we saw every... Why, no, does, why did
0: I just go to all the bathrooms? I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, it seems like... I don't know. I don't know why that stuck a out. A strange direction to head in. <laughs> what, to you,
1: was the most impressive <laughs> thing you saw behind the scenes, Larry Beal? Not um,
0: bathroom-related. Just the fact... Well, for one thing, they obviously spared no expense. Yes. And... I mean, privately financed and all that. The one thing I thought was exceptionally cool, and there will be an official media tour, which I think is it's on like the two 26th, from now. Uh, August yeah. 26th, and then there's going to be a whole bunch of interviews on the 27th. But in addition to what is a retractable Jumbotron that goes up into the roof, which it's just unbelievable. Uh, it, it's because it, the screen is crazy big, but. Under the category of, man, they do really think of everything. As you walk down towards where the court will be, underneath the jumbotron, and sort of, it's hard to describe how how this setup like will Like, if work.
1: you're sitting courtside and you wanted to look up at the scoreboard, you couldn't see the scoreboard. Yeah, because be you the kind scoreboard. of
0: underneath it. So, yeah. So, they have another set of screens. Yes. Like,
1: it's like a scoreboard within the scoreboard. Yes, it is a scoreboard within the <laughs> but scoreboard, but it's underneath it, so you can see it courtside. So the
0: people in all of the the, the rich folk seats <laughs> that in, that are sitting courtside, or side, the players, well, the players too can see yeah. the, can see the stats more easily. But I think Raymond Ritter was telling us that the scoreboard under the giant scoreboard is bigger than what they had at Oracle Arena. All of those, so it's just it's sort of. It's like diamonds on top of rubies on top of diamonds. It's 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 pretty crazy. crazy. Yeah, Yeah,
1: they took us into these wine cellars. Which we'll never see again, I'm sure. Yeah. That were pretty remarkable. Um, they were like bunkers with like wine cellars, and they walked right up into the lower bowl. Like, it, it's nuts. But for me, aside from the bathrooms, which we checked out, you seem
0: to be. Dude, kind these of bathrooms are like Well, yeah,
1: I mean, like, they, they had like literally working full blown spas and all these right, like aquatic right. things right there. Uh, well, next hot, to the Warriors locker room. hot and cold
0: plunge yeah. kind of thing. Yeah.
1: So the locker room is a big circle. Which is really cool. You don't have any nooks and crannies or corners for players to hide in. It's a very neat, open
0: area. Shaped like a basketball.
1: Yeah. And so what was neat to me is when you walk out of that locker room, you can hang a left and you can go to the court, the real basketball court, Mm -hmm. the arena, or you can keep going straight and you're going to walk through a little workout area and then boom, you're on the practice court. Right. And so to me, I thought that was really cool because like when we go to cover the Warriors every day. We go to Oakland, and then we go to the Marriott, and then we go to the fifth right. floor. And it's like this setup they've had for many, many years there, but it's it's all over the place. And then you look at the Chase Center. I mean, they're going to pull in park underground. They're right there. Right. They're in the practice. We are standing on the actual, like, center court of the practice facility, and it was pretty cool. And they shout out Al Adels in there.
0: Yes, There's a big
1: Al Adels tribute in the practice court. Um, Also, another really cool fact that that we learned is that the media center is going to be dedicated to Bill King, the great A's, Raiders, Warriors, broadcaster, just an absolute icon, Hall of Famer. And I thought the nod to Bill King was really cool. Yeah.
0: The practice court was one of the first things they had finished. And I had a chance. If there was a ball there... (laughs) Yeah. I would have grabbed a ball and tried to be the guy that made the first shot on the practice. Well, probably one of the construction workers that's gone, <laughs> Someone has gone. Somebody, stuck a ball somebody. In there. But but actually, I had a, a little mishap recently and uh, kind of almost went KD and almost tore my Achilles tendon. And so uh, Rick Welts was among those joking. Yeah, you could make the first shot and tear the first Achilles on our <laughs> yes, practice court exactly. the way you moving. Cause I was been, I was hobbling around. That would have been absolutely unfortunate. But. but so what what is the number one let's bathrooms aside, since aside from the bathrooms. Be, what, uh, what's the most impressive thing? I like the Jumbotron with the scoreboard within a scoreboard.
1: The Jumbotron was spectacular. I think that when you go there, you're gonna see an arena that is Plaza? Pretty freaking amazing. Yeah. I said actually on that podcast episode recorded, the plaza to me was really what jumped out, but that was before we'd seen the whole arena right. inside and out, and we would have loved to share all this with you, but they're on a media blackout. So we could only see it with our eyes. We couldn't take pictures. We can tell you about it. Until
0: the 26th of August. Yeah,
1: I mean, that place, it's really just no expenses spared. They went crazy in there, and I think people will like it. Um, Obviously, the transportation thing is going to be tricky. They're working really hard on that. It's going to
0: be challenging.
1: We'll see. We'll see how it all goes. Yeah. I'm excited to see the uh, the WWE there. (sighs) Pfft. And then also okay. the Warriors. Yeah. Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's that's going to make Joe Lacob really happy to know that uh, you're excited about the WWE. My
1: WWE tickets count the same as the Warriors tickets. They, they get all the money now. They own the arena. That's
0: true. That is a big... I mean, that's why part of the reason why they built it. But we can get into that some other time. I, I was just going to go into my Undertaker <laughs> every time you mention WWE, but... Something rang a bell when you talked about the bathrooms, of course, uh, because of the spas, the, the hot tub, and the cold plunge. You know where I'm going <laughs> as long as you here. you don't
1: go too you cold. You don't
0: want to be too cold <laughs> because then you got to get your feet circumcised, <laughs> as Antonio Brown described on Hard Knocks in week two. This whole Antonio Brown thing has been so bizarre with the helmet— and crowdsourcing to see if they could find a used, shut, air advantage helmet, slightly used. Size large. Size large. And it looks like the NFL will now have to decide whether they will approve usage of that helmet because they want everybody in newer, safer helmets. But there's a, the whole frostbitten feet thing is really just so bizarre because if you're going to go in a cryo chamber, and, and many athletes do it at this point. I mean, we've seen a zillion guys in there you you've you got to you got to come out of there better than when you went in <laughs> not with feet that you can't walk on and all blistery because you didn't wear the right footwear so the story itself was strange his description of of peeling layers like a doctor oh, the, his feet blistering up and the peeling layers of skin off I, I, thinking about that as a professional athlete looking down at your feet That had to be horrifying I think— Especially a wide receiver who has to make all those cuts. What have I done? Yeah. What is going—I mean, you have to be thinking, like, okay, I'm going to get better, right? But, you know, there have been cases where people—you have frostbite. They start chopping uh, digits off from frostbite. So I don't know that it was that severe, but— that, it was is, a, it was a burn, that is, a career, burn essentially a That is career-threatening when you get to a certain level. If you damage your feet enough, the whole Antonio Brown thing. I, what's the song you, that you sing to your kids? Uh, head, oh, head, head,
1: shoulders, knees, and toes. <laughs> yeah, go, so go, we've knees. we've covered head with head the helmet, and shoulders, knees, and toes. We've covered, toes, the, toes, we've we've covered toes. the toes <laughs> with the cryo burn. So, are we going to have to worry about his sh- shoulders or is it knees? Worse with his
0: knee? Oh,
1: man. I mean, it's been a myriad of issues for him. Now, one thing that I think I want to talk about on this situation is, you know, I was off last week on vacation at the beach, getting my own different kind of burns, but I think that when this helmet thing came up and he was threatening retirement, everybody freaked out about that, and I just know that this guy, when he is on the field, is the elite of the elite, and the work he puts in, we saw all the videos, like he'd have the blackout shades on, and he's catching balls and tossing them back, and he's doing all these incredible workouts. This guy is so dedicated to his craft, so dedicated, in fact, that he got into a cryo chamber and burnt his feet on accident. This guy's not retiring. He's not throwing away that money. Like, anybody who thought he was going to hang up, come
0: on. The dedication to the sport is one thing, but I'm just more bottom line. $30 guaranteed. It's a $50 million contract. You're not turning that away. You know who walks away from that? Nobody <laughs> except Kevin Durant, who left fifty-seven million on the table, but he's already made all. He's of his got money. other options. So, the, the, I mean, unfortunately, the media kind of crowdsources too at this point. And as soon as you hear Antonio Brown is threatening retirement, I mean, everybody just runs it's with just it. Headline it's just after headline bait. after it's, headline, it's irresistible. Yeah. Now, some of the issues that Mike Silver from NFL Network brought up in uh, what was a fantastic kind of. 20-tweet description of AB's Raider experience suggests that there may be some problems. Like, he's not locked in when they're doing the meetings. He's mm. on an iPad, fooling around, whatever, the cell phone, this, that. We saw this with the Steelers, where they said, yeah, we know he's one of the best receivers in football. Maybe the best. You can have him for a third and a fifth rounder, and we'll drive him to the airport. <laughs> yeah. So, when you when you look at his resume and his skill set, and then look at the Steelers' side of it, like, oh, we were we were ready for this dude to get out of town. But well, he was
1: trying to get out of town. He well, was I, acting up to get out of well, town. Well, of
0: course. He was getting but, out of town. But has he stopped acting up? It
1: has been a bit of a circus so we, far. We haven't played. It has.
0: He hasn't played one game. The Raiders have one game under their belt. He though, doesn't uh, need
1: to, though.
0: No, I, the, the preseason doesn't matter. Look. When they play week one, I'm sure he's going to be fine, and you'll probably get him on your fantasy I'm team. I'm going to win more yeah. money with AD this year. I'd do it every But year the about. question is, like, I would wonder if you could, on hard knocks, give John Gruden some truth serum and wire him up to, to the polygraph and say, how many headaches? Have you already had more headaches with Antonio Brown than you expected? I think that thing would be going,
1: Jump headaches
0: will be worth it. They have to be. When he
1: gets on the field, he makes Derek Carr better. He makes the receivers better. He makes the cornerbacks that cover him and practice better. He makes everybody around him better when he's on the field. Can he get on the field?
0: Well, he will. He's got to be on the feet, field. His feet will get better. So
1: that's the problem. It just
0: seems like.
1: Let's wait till he's on the field. Then we'll see. I'm a I'm an Antonio Brown guy. I'm, I'm I, all
0: I love watching him play. <laughs> it's yeah. all the other stuff that is just like really dude i if mean if you're
1: an elite wide receiver that doesn't have a bunch of issues are you really an elite wide receiver
0: <laughs> probably terrell owens <laughs> would say no i mean seriously i was thinking about it this week and and i was just thinking back to the video of t.o doing the sit ups uh, in philadelphia yeah. when he was holding out and there was you know remember and we we had him on our post game show the nba post game show just a few months ago because he, he's a big warriors fan and he, he loves to hoop but yeah, no, I, there's a lot of receivers that are divas, and uh, I just wonder whether this is going to be worth the investment. Does he make it to Vegas with this team before John Gruden wants to strangle him? Not he, sure. He may
1: want to strangle him, but he won't, and he will make it to Vegas. And I don't All think right. the Raiders are going to be a great team this year, but I think they'll be far better with Antonio Brown. There's no, there's just no
0: debating that. Well, he's he is a great player. Yeah. He's a great player. But he is much like nitroglycerin because you toss it up in the air. You better catch it because if it drops, boom. (laughs) So we'll see. Time for
1: Leonard to drop his question of the week.
0: He didn't set up his microphone. Wow. Yell it. Wow. Why were you guys
1: laughing so much at the beginning of this podcast?
0: That That is a good question. Are you blaming me?
1: Fire it off. Let's we'll
0: see it. No, that was his question. That was
1: my question. Oh, that was literally. Oh, I wow. think Leonard.
0: I think what happened here is Leonard was unprepared for so a question. So what happened off. is
1: before this podcast, I don't know why, but Larry started his usual aloha, which is automatic, and <laughs> and broke down <laughs> halfway through. No. And I don't know why, but that set us off into this like <laughs> like this like middle school giggling fit that I think we were both in a lot of trouble. But I couldn't shake it. I had to leave. I literally left the room.
0: But I thought it started with your oh, bizarre geez. Alcatraz story <laughs> that your theory on how the guys, uh, I know supposedly how the guys
1: got off Alcatraz and I told the story before the pod. I will save that. I'll tell it next week. How about that? Okay, I'll, do my, that, I'll go do all the deep dive the, research. Okay. We're going to talk about how they got off Alcatraz next week on this very podcast. What a tease. What a tease. I know how they got off, and they did get You off. think
0: they, they were not eaten by sharks. They didn't no drown. No, they never found the bodies, you know.
1: No, they made it out. Okay. They made it to Brazil.
0: <laughs> Brazil.
1: Brazil. Like
0: Bobo Brazil. You remember Bobo yeah. Brazil? Wrestler? Yeah. You're a big mm-hmm. WWE guy. I'm
1: a historian of... WWE.
0: <laughs> okay. So at this point, since you've teased this big Alcatraz knowledge that you're going to be dropping mm-hmm. on everybody, probably they should subscribe to make sure that they don't miss next week's That's pod. a
1: fantastic point because yeah. if you don't subscribe, you might miss it. We won't tweet it. We'll probably make you actually come find it. So subscribe. Where can you find us? iTunes. Spotify. Those are our two favorites right now. YouTube, where you can actually see all this nonsense, including me smacking my head on the table giggling. And we're also on Google Play and on abc7news.com slash with authority. A lot
0: of platforms.
1: Any platform you need, we'll find a way to be there for
0: you, the listener. That's it. Episode 20 in the books. And we say, aloha. Stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> with authority.
2: <laughs>
1: Alright, here this we go.
0: Three, two, one. Hello. Ah. <laughs> oh, we're not I am not ready to perform. <laughs> oh, that's the
1: open. That's the show open now. We're gonna get some water. I need to hydrate. It's a
0: hundred degrees outside, Leonard. Alright. Just get it out. Why why is this happening? <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, I don't
0: know why I'm laughing. Uh. (laughs) Aloha!
2: (laughs) That was not
0: funny. What is wrong with you? I gave it my best shot. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I knew it was gonna happen. I knew it. Oh my god, I'm laughing
0: too hard. It's like a, you need a like a standing eight <laughs> count. Right, I'm you, you, count. Leave. The, you must leave the room. You're not <laughs> professional right now. <laughs>